Welcome back to Inside the Capitol. I'm Josh West. And I'm Colin Walkie. That's the that's the, the walkie we love. There we go. It's uh, 7 April. It's Thursday, 7 April. Yeah, so 2022. We got, I don't know. We're at the point where we've got between um, four and six weeks left of session. And so, Constitutionally, we have to be out by the end of May, but uh, that rarely happens. So the question is, between May 1 and May 30, <laughs> when, yeah. when are we getting out? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it'll depend on uh, the budget negotiations with the House and Senate. And once we get them both entities on board, then it, it goes by pretty quick. We just got to deal with the Democrats on the floor telling us how crappy the budget is. Well, that's right. Well, you know, if y'all didn't run bad budgets, what can I say? Oh, yeah. So speaking of Democrats uh, and running bad budgets, uh, so I haven't actually heard much about the budget negotiations this session of you. Uh, you know, just um, – and it, you, you really don't until we start the JCAB process. And I know that the, the budget negotiations, it's not like that they just start it during session. I mean, these are ongoing throughout right. the year. I mean, that's one thing I was talking about Wallace. I mean, and, and the vice chairs, when Hilbert was vice chair, it's a, the budget process is a long process. And it's it's always depends and on factors. Yeah, and it's, it's ebbs and flows. And so it's all based off of commodities. And so we get one number in February when the Board of Equalization comes out with you know, what we are estimating that the gross revenue we're going to bring in, and that's where we build our budget off of. But the budget gets here, you know, there may be more circumstances that come up. Like 2020 was a prime example of, um, you know, when COVID came and we went yeah, through we all that. We were projecting that, so. losses and cuts. Yeah, at least yeah. a flat budget. And, and we've event. been good. I mean, even your local municipalities, like the tax base, I think that had a lot to do with people staying, taking the staycations and – and the fact that, you know, you may disagree, but we were a lot more open than most states. And so we had a lot of people coming from, you know, kind of progressive states that may have, like Ryan, that have lake houses and things like that, that were like, hey, if Oklahoma's open for business, we're going to come down here. So there's a lot of people that came down here for that. And um, But the, the revenue is pretty much up across the board, in my district at least, with our, our municipalities. And so it's, it's been good. It's surprising. Last, you know, in April of 2020, if you'd have told me we were still going to be in pretty good shape, I'd have said you were stupid. And, yeah. and a lot of had to do with federal money and fake money into the economy and that's something that worries me with the recession looming I, a banker friend of mine I talked to him last weekend at an event and I said when are we going to hit recession he said sometime between 12 and 18 months don't know when <laughs> <laughs> well we've got a guest here today representative Logan Phillips uh, why don't you tell the guests who you are where you're from and what you're doing up here Right, I'm Logan Phillips. I'm state rep out of District 24, which is uh, now Bixby, Mounds, and Glenpool. It used to be the rural areas, Okmulgee, Okfusky, and Hughes. Uh, mostly what I do up here is broadband, strangely enough, and technology-related stuff, which I think we over overlap a little bit on yeah. U2's goals. <laughs> and you've you've heard us talk about Logan many times in the last two years in this podcast about the work he's done with data privacy, too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, both of those, the last two years, the, the um, data privacy bills have ran in his committee, but that's something Logan's been working on since, his, since he got elected in 2018. Yeah, he had a bill on that. Yeah, yeah I ran the f- state's very first data privacy bills. Of course, as a freshman legislator, those uh, tanked extremely hardly. <laughs> uh, got called, I think, a col- California communist was the uh, phrase that kept getting said about me. Yeah, they like I ran to throw that. stuff like that because we're from Oklahoma. And yeah. Anything to do with California, <laughs> you just throw California in there and, oh, he's got to be a terrible person. So, yeah. so you have Bixby now? I Is have Bixby now. Bixby? Uh, I'd take the main downtown area going up to like 131st Memorial. Oh, wow. So uh, I'm it's a South different. Tulsa rep now. So how much <laughs> did your district change as far as square miles with the new district? I went from 2,300 square miles to 270 square miles, and 84% of it's new. Big wow. difference. So massive, massive change. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when you talk about rural 
broadband, and man, I hate saying that. There, there was actually, I forgot the TV show, but they were making fun of this movie that was named The Rural Juror. And so, yeah, it's, you're trying to say those R's, and I had to go to speech therapy as a kid because I couldn't say my R's. So, uh, talking about rural broadband, tell us what the problem is, what you've done to fix it, and where we're heading. Okay, yeah, that's a great question. The problem is there was none. <laughs> it's a pretty simple, straightforward issue that uh, 84% of our 80 get my numbers 80 something percent of Oklahoma's physical landmass simply didn't have connectivity we're talking 250,000 students when the pandemic happened uh, went home with uh, no internet at home to do homework our seniors got stuck in uh, senior citizens homes and uh, living facilities that had no connection and blocked off from their residents our veterans got blocked out of the hospitals because they couldn't get telemedicine um I can't remember the amount, like 40% or 35% of the entire state's population simply did not have connectivity. And it's it's no longer rural broadband. Uh, we realized after the last two years, it's not rural. Oklahoma yeah, it's City, urban too. Yeah. It's urban too. Oklahoma City has areas that simply don't have connectivity. North Tulsa is a dead zone for broadband connectivity. And so this is not a rural versus suburban versus urban issue. This is the digital divide versus the haves and the have-nots of connectivity. And they get, run the gambit from rich areas to poor areas, uh, highly dense populations to not. Um, when we took up this challenge in 2019 and started screaming about broadband, um, no one was really paying attention. Uh, they just thought I was sort of crazy, you know, Internet's funny cat videos and uh, <laughs> stupid downloads. But pandemic happened, and people started paying attention, and... I'd like to tell people the only good thing that came out of the pandemic is everyone in this building went home at the same time and realized they couldn't do crap online. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, were, you, were, you were seeing into the future and seeing the necessity of it in any event. So what's been the holdup? I mean, why don't they just go out there and uh, lay some line? Money. Ah. It's, it's always, always about money. Uh, the reality is, like, I have five farms in rural communities that I looked at. It's going to cost $10 million to get those five farms ran with fiber line. Wow. And you know, do we really need to spend $10 million on five 84-year-old farmers uh, in the rural communities to get them fiber line? And so we have to look at it as a system of systems. And we have to bring the price point per customer down if we want the private sector to build out. So we needed, we needed tax incentives. We needed cash. We needed. And so have we, have we solved our problems? Where are we at in the process? Well, when I started this, we were 47th in the nation in connectivity. Uh, we have moved up to 24th. Which, good work. That's Logan. a big jump. It's, it's a huge jump. It's amazing. That's a generational change. Um, I was hoping the feds would give us like $20, $30 million. And I thought I could make a generational change in connectivity with that. And uh, they gave us $1.9 billion. And out of that, we have $1.2 billion coming for broadband expansion, plus $167 million for it. In the next five years, I expect with the groundwork we've laid and the things we've put in place, I can get broadband connectivity out to about 95% of the houses. Wow. Congratulations on that. Well, that's one thing that has got to make it, because we talk about it all the time. It's not always fun up here. I mean, there's, you know, my relationships make up putting up with some of the crap worth it. But that's one thing you can look back and say, hey, that's something that really was a big, a positive change for the state of Oklahoma. That's something you invested a lot of time. And when it comes, you're going to have years of work in it, but you're going to know. And, and he's not sitting here waving a flag saying, I did this. But he, right. I'm going to tell yeah. you what, he's the flag bearer of this for the last since, since he came in at 18. And so we can look back and say, hey, no matter how long I'm here 
or how long I, when I when I leave this place, I can look back ten years from now and say I had a pretty big. That, that was something that was really positive. It was a good thing that I was able to do. And so, and even before you know the COVID talk, uh, we were working on you know legislation with trying to modernize the way we do like telemed and things like that. Telemed obviously took a big jump with with the COVID. Um, and 20, but before that, we were looking at ways to do interstate compacts and things like that. And, um, and so we just, without, you know, we can pass all the laws we want, but if you don't have infrastructure in place, yeah. then it really doesn't matter, especially in these dead pockets and not, not just rural, like you said, and yeah. it's not just a rural problem. And so, um, it's important to the state. And it's a, I think that most members, um, if you look at the board, when these bills go up, they tend to support these because they know it's going to be a good thing, not just for their, you know, the, the, the lady that, or the, the guy that works at home, but the schools, um, you never know at this point when you're going to be, I mean, some schools in the urban areas are week to week and, and still, they don't know if they're going to be around. And so you got to have that put in place where they can still get an education. Cause I can't sit at home and teach my kids. I promise you that. Cause they would not be very smart. <laughs> Well, I think it really is the, a basic engine of economic development. Uh, I don't care what sector you're talking about. If it's uh, educating our population, if it's medical, if it's actual bringing businesses to Oklahoma or expanding sectors of our uh, different industries, if we don't have connectivity, you simply can't do business. And you lose out on potential people, businesses moving to the state of Oklahoma because that's something they factor in there, not just education, not just roads and bridges and and the cost of electricity and things like that. It's also things like this. Uh, we're finding that most businesses that come in ask, they used to ask, do you have the workforce? That was the number one question. That's now changed. The number one question is, do you have connectivity and do you have a place that we actually want to live? And connectivity even falls into that as well. Yeah. Right? So give us a little bit of background about you. Where'd you grow up? What do you do uh, when, you, when you ain't up here? Uh, so I have ADD, and so I've done all the things. I've been all the places. Um, my background is I've served in the Army for six years, the U.S. Infantryman. Uh, right at 17, I joined before 9-11. Um, traveled around. I have a bachelor's degree in business information technology from OSU, a master's degree in teaching, learning, leadership, and a second master's degree in pedagogical and curriculum Design and research, uh, focusing on virtual education suites. Um, I have traveled all over the world. I lived in Taiwan for several years where I taught math to uh, Taiwanese students, uh, which was a unique That must experience. have been quite, as I say, that must have been quite an experience. Did they look crazy. at you like, I mean, because the, they're, they're kind of a short population, <laughs> so you got a big guy, a big soldier guy coming in, did, so did they like rub your belly and stuff like <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories ever, I was at the subway. And, of course, I can see from front to back of the subway, no matter if it's packed or not. Yeah. And I'm holding on to a rail system that no one else can reach. And this 900-year-old little Taiwanese woman walks in with all of her bags and looks me from foot to uh, head, looks me foot to head again, and then reaches over and grabs a hold of my backpack strap and anchors herself to me. <laughs> uh, she looked around the entire subway and said, You're the safest anchor. Yeah, you are the safest anchor in this thing, so I'm going to hold on to you. <laughs> How long did you teach over in Taiwan? Uh, I was there for two years. So. so were you married at the time? I was not married at the time, though I did meet my wife there. Uh, did you? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I traveled across the entire world and found a white Amish girl in Asia and then brought her home. <laughs> was she raised Amish? Uh, her family is Amish, yeah. She's Were a Yoder. from, like, Iowa or uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Michigan. Uh, hey, the UP's a different land. I worked with some guys when I was contracting overseas, and there, there was a few guys from the UP, and it was like – you take the most, uh, and I'm I'm a good redneck, so I'm, uh, it's not a derogatory comment. But you take the good rednecks from Oklahoma, and you multiply it times 100, and those are the people that live in the UP. That's like their own. So little they actually have a term for the them, and it's not redneck; they're hill people. 
Hillbilly. Really? Yeah, there's the rednecks, there's the hillbillies, and then there's the hill people. Uh, they are full on like, uh, don't come into my woods. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah well, it's interesting because uh, as, a, as an Okie, uh, I had no idea that one, there was an upper peninsula to Michigan. Two, <laughs> that you shortened it to UP people. I didn't realize yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to start doing Colin some Walker cultural research. Colin Walker didn't know there was a UP. I did not. No, I, we talked Colin something today. That yeah, look at that. Yeah, I appreciate that. The well, scholar. it takes a world traveler to <laughs> travelers. We're always to, learning. Yeah. Always learning. It's definitely a different world. Uh, first time my wife took me up there was like June. It was 109 degrees here, so I packed like tank tops and shorts. There were icebergs floating in the <laughs> lake, and they were swimming in it, and it was like 26 degrees there. Wow. So it's awful weather. Lots of ice <laughs> fishing, moose hunting. Yeah. yeah. So, so what keeps you busy when you're not up here? Uh, so I'm a college professor by trade, and so I still teach uh, business information at Tulsa Tech, or Tulsa Tech, uh, Tulsa Community College. Uh, past that, I run a nonprofit where pre-pandemic, we built education systems in developing countries and tried to uh, build out programs to help where other people have forgotten. Uh, so I do that and a little bit of farming, raising cows and turkeys and those type of things. So That's the places awesome. that you were building these schools, like how often did you go on site and visit the locations? So we only got into it about a year and a half before uh, the pandemic, before I actually took this job. Uh, the last one we built in was Uganda, and uh, we went there twice. Uh, so typically, go meet, introduce ourselves, make the connections, uh, have someone going. Is it tribal, kind of tribal areas? It can be. It's typically not in the uh, most city center areas. Uh, but most other developing countries don't have public education systems yeah. like we have. Uh, so it has to be privately funded. Um, so we partnered in areas uh, that becomes a community center, like the only water well uh, mm-hmm. is in my school in Uganda that we worked with, uh, uh, Joshua Baker out of Tulsa. And, um, is that water for? Yeah, it, it's water for the city, the town. Oh, everything. I meant the company. Was it water uh, for? I mean, the other uh, organization you partnered with. Uh, Josh you know? Baker. Yeah, the other guy is – I can't – I can't remember the name yeah. of the other individual. I apologize. Uh, no, well, the only reason I say is because a few years ago we had uh, Justin Wren, the big pygmy, who started water yeah. or, or fight yeah. for the forgotten and started drilling wells for the pygmies. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't know if, if I didn't know if there was any. Yeah, that was a cool visit. To look into that was a real that, cool visit. Yeah, you still keep in contact with him? I haven't heard from him in a while. Maybe we should try and get him on our podcast. Yeah, a lot has changed. I know he's living down in Austin now, I think, uh, doing MMA fighting and things like that. So, uh, But we should check that back out. Water I've seen him on a recent podcast. Yeah, Sounds yeah. like an interesting No, guy. he was he was uh, <laughs> actually on UFC's Ultimate Fighter. And I forget the, the, the whole backstory, but long story short, he was in line to be a championship fighter on UFC. Um, and right before his title fight, um, he had surgery, got addicted to opiates, et cetera, um, was overcoming addictions, felt called by God uh, to go help the pygmies in Africa and just up and went, came back <laughs> and started raising money to help uh, dig wells for them out there, help buy back their land because there's a lot of exploitation that goes on for the, for the pygmies because they live in the, the, the forests, I guess, and, and the uh, other more uh, stronger tribes live out in the plains area where they control all the resources. And so the pygmies get exploited to have to barter for goods or whatever it is. And so uh, then he started an anti-bullying campaign here and I thought was getting back into MMA. I know he fought for Bellator for a while in the heavyweight division. And um, I just got to know him one day cause he came to one of my jujitsu classes. And so we got to roll together. It was, it was a blast. Um, but in any event, uh, I hear about that, you know, I hear about Justin and then, the stuff that, that you were doing, it's like we got some first world problems. 
You know, no. you're, you're, when you talk about the only water well in that community is at the community center where you build a school. I mean, then, and people probably walk for miles and carrying every jug available to have to go get clean water for the day. And they do it every day, seven days a week. Oh, multiple times a day. Like, we had a big competition where we gave out gifts at the end of the competition for the students. The gifts we gave out were like large water bowls, a five gallon water jug, uh, things that just so they can and isn't carry. it crazy like kids you can take you can look at kids here in the united states you can take a kid in iraq or afghanistan or the uganda and kids are all pretty much the same right. i mean every kid loves chocolate i can't tell you how many times i was rolling around on a asr patrol or msr patrol or on missions when the little kids come up mr mr chocolate chocolate like that's like the the worldwide um chocolate is the what bounds us all together that's right that's right the love of chocolate <laughs> so what motivated you to do this i mean it sounds like a very sincere desire to help people How, where does that stem from well i think i've always been a public servant uh, i've never really cared much for finance or money it's not my driving factor uh, so I, I joined the military when i was 17 because i wanted to serve after that i worked with at-risk young men um was always my big driving factor if uh, Let's just say I was a troubled kid myself that got in lots of trouble, so I wanted to help those that I saw myself in, and that led me to teaching, that led me to work, and then I had a family friend, uh, Tom Sears, who was a VP of Phillips Petroleum. Uh, he had created this nonprofit called the Ressa Foundation, and he called me one day. He was getting older, and he was having difficulty managing his books and his paper, and called me up to be glorified secretary, and after a few years, uh, we revamped his entire foundation, got it functioning again, and uh, he handed off as me as the executive director, and then when he passed, he gave Gave me the torch to carry on his nonprofit, and so I've been doing that for about twelve years. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, you were saying, you know, you were troubled. So the assumption up here, people think that everybody up here is, you know, we're all wealthy oh, and yeah. we so live perfect students. lives. That was an assumption I had when I came up. Here. Yeah. Well, the reality <laughs> is that most of us have some backstory, and, yeah. and we're such a diverse group of people. And I, I love having kids come up here because I was just a normal Delaware County kid growing up poor like everybody else. And I still can relate to my constituents, you know. So when these kids come up here from my school groups or whatever, um, it's good to be able to tell them, hey, I was just like you. I was running those Delaware County, Mays County Hills just like you, playing in the creeks. And, yeah, I did my fair share of stuff, and I could have ended up a statistic, but I use it every day to drive me to do something good. So I hope one of these kids replace me someday that, you know, that – Learns from their mistakes Absolutely. and does the same thing. Absolutely. <laughs> so so uh, do you have any Senate bills or anything that you're running on this side? So I actually had a massively productive day today. I, I was going to take a mental health day today and go take care of some of my health needs. And then instead I got called up because the Senate was hearing several of my bills. Uh, we passed off today the Broadbent Coordinator's Office, which is going to bring us 95% connectivity. We passed off the Southeast Asia Trade Office today from committee, which uh, will create some international trade for us, uh, which is I think will be one of the biggest bills if people see the value in it uh, that the state jumps into. I think it'll be as big as the broadband expansion for economic development. Uh, as well as the stop spam calling bill, uh, we got that passed out of committee today, and I think one other. Uh, wow, that's so that a big had a, day. We had a good day. <laughs> As a Democrat, I'm just used to hearing my bill failed in the Senate, my bill failed in the Senate. <laughs> uh, you've passed more bills off the floor than I have this year. <laughs> I got four off this year. How many did you get? Uh, not that many. No, no, I was, yeah. It was a different year for me. You, you need to how, learn how to work the politics there, Josh. Well, it was different. <laughs> I, was, I was had some uh, people from my district come up today. I serve on one of the boards, um, uh, and and they had stopped by. There's some legislation coming up, and I was. They were saying, "How's it going?" I said, "I don't know. I feel like I'm behind the first 
you know, month of session I was dealing with with that, and it mm. was not a common session for me. So I don't my most of my bills I didn't even track. I didn't even care at the time. I mean, I had some buddies that got yeah. some of my bills through, but it was a different year. So now I've got a ton of Senate bills. I'm like, oh, I got to get back in the swing because I kind of not that I took a vacation. We still had committee stuff and floor work, but I wasn't in committee stumping for my own legislation. Really, I think this year has been weird for all of us. It's just yeah. been an off filling year across the board. Well, it's we, been slower. I mean, I just really it has like over that. here. Now it's typically over here. We talk about all the time that you know the house is the crazy side, and uh, the Senate is is kind of the you know retirement home, mm. and it's usually more um, organized over there. And and it's different. They run their system different. You know, debates and things like that. You know, we debate. We have time limits. They debate totally different. It's and you don't rile up. You know, call and walk. You would not be able to get on the Senate floor and, and, and do call and walk stuff and get riled up. And, you know, they have a different, totally different candor about them over there. And so it's uh, – but this year it seems like the Senate has been kind of the wild side. And, and we're – you know, sometimes I, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, just for everybody that's listening, I mean, it's really hard to get a bill passed. I'll give you an example. I passed a bill 97 to nothing out of the House. Mm-hmm. Died in committee in the Senate committee yesterday by, by one Ugh. vote. You know, like – that, that's just the reality up here. I know that Representative Forrest Bennett had a bill that was really important to him. It was, in my opinion, a very, very simple bill. Did nothing major, but was important to one of his constituents. I thought it was a good bill, uh, and it died in committee the other day. So you just never know what's going to happen. Well, I, and I hate games. Like, I never take on a Senate bill with the intention of saying, I'm going to screw that senator over. Yeah, I, and I, some people do. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm going to work just as hard on my Senate bills to get them through because I'm partnered up with that senator, and they're trusting me just like I trust them with my house bills uh, to get it done. And if, if they can't get it done, I'll find another senator who can. And same thing on the house side. And so let's talk about 2969, where we are in the process right now. You know, the last time we talked, we got it on the house, 70-something to – 75 to 15. The 15. And we had some people that weren't present, but it's a big number, and especially as toxic as they try to make it on the outside. It was a big number in the house, and it has been for two years. And that bill – you know, I was talking to the Senate author. We've got Senator um, Jake Merrick running it over there. And we also have 1602 from last year that's still alive that John Michael Montgomery, Senator John Michael Montgomery, uh, is carrying. Um, Merrick told me he didn't think he was going to get the bill heard. And that's the frustrating part is we just want a hearing in the stinking committee and let the sucker live or die on its own merit. So to that point, this is breaking news today. Apple is splitting from the trade group of uh, hold on, the State Privacy and Security Coalition, which is the one that's been pushing industry-friendly privacy laws in states like Utah, Virginia, etc. So even Apple is starting to back up and go, wait, we're doing a race to the bottom. We're not actually protecting citizens' data, etc. Uh, we're going to pull out from this coalition that's pushing this horrible legislation. So Yeah, because we talked about in the past, the legislation is being written by big tech. That's right. And not that we haven't worked with big tech. We've worked with everybody, and we've, we've put a lot of stuff in there to make them feel more comfortable. But what do you want to gut the entire purpose of yeah. it, just so you can say you did something? And I don't want to pass a bill that's going to do nothing. Right. Why? Right. And that, that's the frustrating part. But you know what? If it doesn't get a hearing, you know what? Uh, next year, we'll follow the do same stinking thing. And for my next six years that I'm here, every year I will have this, and I'll bring the same heat. We'll bring the same heat that we have for the last four years. And we'll have Representative Phillips as the chair of the Technology Committee, which, by the way, I want to make one other commit, comment about, about that. The fact that you actually know about technology and are involved in it or the chair of it, I think that's so important uh, because I think that way too often we have committee chairs or vice chairs that aren't involved in that area making decisions. And I think that – so I just want to give kudos to you for being a great chair. Well, kudos to you guys for the run of this bill. Like uh, I ran it in 2019 because – 
it was an unregulated industry. This multi-billion dollar industry. And the people, once they realized how valuable their data is, it's going to be a wave of people upset about this. And people are starting to wake up. When you're getting those advertisements that are too specific from something you said offline in a different room, <laughs> yeah. it starts to irk you the wrong way. And this is how it's been done for the last 10 years on this data privacy issues is unethical and immoral. And so there has to be movement. God, amen, brother. Amen. Hey, we will sit around in my apartment. There, last week, we were, there was probably 10 of us in my apartment. Well, it was actually, um, when was it? Was it Sunday, the national championship or Monday? Was it this Sunday, week? No, it was Monday, Monday. Yeah. Well, Monday we're sitting there. There's probably 10 of us watching the, the basketball national championship and, um, representative Strom, good buddy of ours. Uh, it's actually Logan's, uh, they, they share a common area in their office, and he mentioned my shoes. I was wearing on, a brand called OnCloud, and he, he's always talking about those shoes. I'm telling you, 10 seconds later, we get. I said, here you go, Judd, just to show you that the ad for on OnCloud shoes popped on up on phone. my phone. Just from talking. Yeah, just from talking. I mean, that's the – they've got complete access to everything in your life. And like we talked about on the floor, some of these monitor your keystrokes. They know your passwords. And when you download something or just like the Super Bowl, and everybody did the little icon, the little uh, – what is it, the – the little the, thing. The, yeah, what are they? What are they? Yeah, now it's blinking on me too. You know, the, you put your phone on and it pulls up the website. And yeah. The, the square thing. Yeah. Anyway. And so. <laughs> what the heck is that called? Uh, it's been Jason, a long you going to help us on that? <laughs> Come on. Uh, anyway, yeah. The little square thing with a bunch of lines. <laughs> yeah. So we're, I mean, these companies are, you have no privacy in your life. Your kids don't have privacy. We're sitting here in front of a smart TV that's listening to us right now. Our phones are listening to us. And I just, I still, this blows my stinking mind that we, that this is such a big deal that we can't get it pushed through. You know, it, it's crazy because data collection by itself is not bad. No. It's how the data has been utilized and the cybersecurity threat that's behind it that has caused us to have to go where you guys' build is absolutely needed. You know, as a technology guy, I've always been the Star Trek, uh, the utopian future that data will be utilized to give voice, give power. You know, a perfect example in Africa when the warlords were taken over, we used crowdsourced data from people's phones we collected to figure out where they're posted so we could drop food to them so the warlords wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. That was data collection. That was ethical data collection, used in an ethical way, but it's not being used in an ethical well, way. Well, with our bill, every time when the groups, you know, the, the state chamber has always been against it. And some of the bigger, um, you know, bigger cities, their local chambers were against it. But a lot of those businesses that came to us that had issues with our bill, we said, did you read it? No. Well, let's look at our bill. And they found out, oh, crap, it doesn't affect it doesn't me. Even apply. Yeah, if yeah. you're not storing and selling our data, guess what? It does not affect you, and there's. It's not like every business stores and sells your data. Right. It's a limited, you know. It's a huge group, but it's limited to a certain sector, and so that's what most of the people that would come in here it didn't even affect them. They didn't know why they were against it. They knew it because some special interest group said they had to be against it. And when you talk about the security side of this too, I mean, it was a big news story uh, this past summer about Pegasus and Pegasus Two that the Israeli government uh, or company NSO put out and it's gotten to the point now where they have what's called a zero click exploit which means that all they have to do is call your phone you don't even have to answer it so like you think you're getting spam you're like oh, I declined it just even the fact that they've called you that's how they store the malware on your phone and then they have a hundred percent access to your phone right and now I, I understand that data privacy isn't per se going to do anything to protect that but we've got to wake up to the reality that our phones are, are vulnerable and we're being exploited as a result hey, of that. three weeks ago I got a um a text from my pastor. So we, we do our tithing online, right? And it's a, whatever, I don't know what company it was, Stripe or some company that mm. you know, we use to 
the tithing. You got a text from my pastor on a Saturday and said, hey, check your accounts. And thankfully, I use my credit card for everything. I pay everything and then um, throughout the month and then pay my credit card off. But he said, check your accounts because we um, we were hacked. And so I went in right then. That day alone, I had $15,200. There were three charges for $5,000. They didn't say where they were going. It just had an acronym. And then there was one for $200. So $15,200 because they were holding our information. What were you going to say, Logan? Oh, it's... It just goes through, even if it's a, a data security and they got access to your phone, it's the data servers. Like We have so much data stored right now that yeah. we can't even filter through it. But eventually, there will be a machine learning or artificial intelligence that can. And when that goes in the wrong hands, we have these data forms. It's going to be used to pull everything of you from the very back. Uh, so, like, you're 50, 60 years old. You're going to have things used against you for your jobs. You're going to have things used against you in your personal life. Your insurance uh, yeah. rates. Yeah. Everything's going to be utilized. Hey, I went you. – you, you can go on um, Facebook on your when you go into the, the settings, and you can request the information that mm-hmm. they have on you from the time that you – so my, my, I think I got Facebook in, like, 2007 or eight, And so I just went on there and clicked, and it took them about five days to get it to me. It was 60 pages full of – it wasn't like it was double space. I mean, it was a little crunched in information that they had on my every conversation, every picture, every whatever. Facebook, they downloaded it all. They, they store it all. And so I got that back and I was like, holy, I showed my wife and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now ask them to delete it and they'll give you a middle finger and say, yeah. nope. Well, Logan, anything you want to say before we have to run off to appropriations and budget? <laughs> yes. I appreciate you guys letting me come on. Oh, we appreciate <laughs> you being here. Uh, Representative West, anything from you? No, man. It's uh, like I said, we're it's getting down to the wire here. Let's, we feel it's like the wire. So next week will be the committee work's done. We'll start all the floor stuff, and then we get into the budget. And once we get the agreement between you know the House, Senate, and the executive side, then that, then that goes pretty quick. So we'll be up here fighting for you. And always a pleasure to serve. I, I never, I, I never want to leave without mentioning that we're humble to do this job, and we appreciate it. And I love doing the job. And yes, it's frustrating at times, but we still do it because we feel like it's worth it. And and um, I want to make sure that when I'm done with this, I, I someone that replaces me is going to care about the district just as much as I do. So appreciate y'all. You can always get us uh, on okhouse.gov. You do the drop-down menu, and there's a, there's a button that says podcast. You can listen there, or you can go on Spotify inside the Capitol. So thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. Bye.